Hello and welcome to News Paste Podcast with me, Johnny Vedmore. I was going to sing this intro, you know, because really happy to have the person who I have on on the show because she's not only like really interesting to speak to, has got a, a different way of looking at things than most people, is able to come outside of uh, like the, the normal binary decisions that we think are the only options we have available to us and look outside the proverbial box. And it's uh, Tessa Lena. You can find Tessa at tessa.substack.com. That's Tessa with two S's. You can also find her on Twitter at Tessa Makes Love. Um, and that is very much what Tessa's about. And I love having you on. And talking with you at any time or having any conversation with you. We've had many conversations behind the scenes as well, where we've just talked about loads of various things. Welcome to the New Space Podcast, Tessalena. Hi, Johnny. I am very, very happy to see you. And I love talking to you. And I made a big effort to keep my mouth shut while you were doing the intro. So... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, really, I'm very happy to be having this conversation. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm happy to have this conversation because I really want the Newspace podcast to be uh, looking at other different ways of seeing things and with people who don't see things in the uh, narrow view that we're, we're given in the public eye. And of course, that that's what you're about. Can you can you tell people a little bit about your background, where you're from? For a lot of people who, who don't know you at all, really, basically... Who are you? Where are you from? And what motivates you? What you're looking at? What, what, what do you love? Well, what motivates me is happiness and, and clarity and the truth in a sense, not in an argumentative sense necessarily, but actually just understanding how the world works. I think it's very important and exciting and I'm, I'm very excited about it. As far as the formal background, well, I was born and raised in Moscow and I've spent most of my adult life in the United States. And I also spent a few months in Tibet and I traveled. So by virtue of that, I've seen different places and I don't like any isms because I've seen how isms mess things up regardless. Sometimes the isms are conflicting and they yell at each other and they go, ah, they're like, you're wrong or you're wrong. But, but in actuality, they're like all messy. Uh, and as far as and form of what I do, I'm a writer and musician, and I've been a musician all of my life, and I suppose a writer too. Uh, when I was a kid, I really loved genetics and biology, and I was actually hoping to be a geneticist. Uh, so geneticist, so I should at least pronounce the word correctly. So <laughs> <laughs> no, but then somehow, somehow, you know, I got into languages, and I did Tibetan studies, and I traveled in Tibet. So I did linguistics. Then in the United States, I did a few years of actually IT. And I was excited like a baby coming out of linguistics. I wanted to be a proper corporate person. And uh, mm. I was a leader all of my life. And then I just immigrated here and I went to school. It's like, I am going to be normal. 
finally I am going to be normal. I was so excited and I fell in love with computers. <laughs> and I was like coding like day and night, like excited, like with such my passion. And then that didn't last very long. I mean, I was surprisingly very good at it, but then I was just like, no, that's not my thing. So I stopped doing that. And I went back to music and the arts and writing and that didn't pay very well. So I was doing also some like marketing games mm -hmm. and such, which was interesting because it gave me a whole other mindset and helped me understand other people. I actually don't really do marketing proper for myself because, well, we can get into that, but it's just like, I, it's more important for me to do the right thing and marketing proper is a bit dirty or more than a bit dirty, mm -hmm. but I re re recognize it in hap things happening around me, which is extremely valuable. I mean, like it's, it's, it's fascinating. So I'm like, Oh, that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. Oh, I see. That's what they're doing. So it's, it's very interesting. And so when 2020 happened, then by that time i've been already writing about like transhumanism and big tech and google and all that for like some years and the way i got into that was musician so i was uh as a musician who and uh i realized that big tech was trying to eat us and i, I oh, suppose yes. professionals were in the forefront of like they were on the hors d'oeuvres plate for google and such so like they were the first in line, like musicians, photographers, filmmakers, and Google came up with this big scam of information wants to be free, which is actually like half a quote, and it was completely misinterpreted. And people, myself included, originally thought, oh, yay, freedom, like revolution for the people. Awesome. Like somebody is trying to actually help the people until I realized that the purpose was to steal intellectual property and to build the AI and seduce people as usual like seduce people with this like allegedly free thing but really the free thing is usually at the expense of somebody else and somebody else happened to be musicians and they was like wait a second wait a second so so then i that got me researching like google and virtual mm -hmm. and just humanism is like holy crap oh oh how yeah. weird how weird and then so I was doing that and I was shadow banned way before 2020, like everywhere. And then 2020 happened and I and, and I looked around and I thought, oh, that's exactly what I've been writing about. But it is actually happening and they're saying it's because of COVID. But way before any COVID or whatever it is, Google was trying to bring all education online. It was trying to hunt for healthcare data to build mm -hmm. the AI and to do other nefarious things. And all of a sudden, everything got handed to them because COVID. And I was like, no, 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 that, that's not right. So, and here we are. And then I started a Substack with a very naive uh, thought in April 2020, this particular Substack, because I thought if I start writing about that on my own domain, testifiedsroberts.com, then Google would completely bury it, which it was already doing. Well, sure enough, I mean, Substack is also... <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's that. That's a story. 
Is it, 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 isn't it very interesting how uh, the Google tentacles go everywhere and then you, you, you notice it, you realize it at some point during your time uh, interacting with the internet that the, fu- that the future looks like it's going to be one or two companies ruling the roost and that Google will be everywhere and it will be everything you do and it will like, be esoterically involved in parts of your life that you haven't even got a clue exists yet you don't really uh rationalize what you do like they do when they cut it up in um and they game it out with ai and computer algorithms you know they see everything we do they look at everything we do every single detail of every single click every left right we move and they they uh, I, I mean for me i was going across the usenet archives which usenet for people who don't know was the original like internet um that was uh based in universities from university to university and you'd have to use your real email from that university or that corporation to be able to communicate on Usenet. And basically it, it was a load of forums where people were t- discussing stuff. And um, when after years and years, um, when the internet became a thing and when it got up to the millennium, it was so dangerous that all of these people who had used their real names, all these very influential people who used their real name to write down all their plans for the internet and the future of the world on Usenet in little conversations and that was way too awkward so who is going to be used to come along to swallow that up but google and google took control of all the archives uh said they were going to keep them they were going to is save them they were going to make sure that they they were responsible with them and they basically destroyed and censored every single piece of it they made it unreadable un you can't you can't like search properly in there anymore and so they take something of the past they have to destroy the past and when you talk about censorship how you were censored how you were shadow banned uh you say you know you shadow banned from before 2020 said too I know you. What that actually means is that you were targeted by neocons, like the ones out of the Alliance for Securing Democracy that work out at the German Marshall Fund at Harvard, and the intellectual bases, a place like bases, are being used to um, uh, industrially censor people like yourself. How do you think, Yeah, like, is it now you've reached a stage where you realize you have to try and compete with that in a different way? And do you know any ways to get sort of like, are you, because what, how you describe it to me is that you, you kind of realize that you're going to be censored and you can't uh, dip your foot, uh, like, like your toe completely in the marketing pond because it's completely and utterly corrupt and takes your soul away. So how do you get your message out there then? Well, Substack so far is wonderful. Now, again, I'm a bit cynical in that regard because I think every platform if it's extremely well intended let's say even extremely well did and uh, say the founders want to do good things which perhaps it is the case with substack but then it goes through this evolution where it's getting pressure and then maybe if it gets too much out of line it's getting some other pressure and then sooner or later it go south i mean like that seems to be i don't know of anything that platform that i did that fight now when's going to happen i don't know i like i'm enjoying good things while they last 
So right now, Substack is very good. But I have a funny story about censorship, and I'm going to tell it just because it's cute. So I had a musician Facebook page, and that was at the time when most people really weren't censored and all sorts of conspiracy theories in today's talk were allowed to be as long as they were harvest. I mean, so it's like talk, but as long as it doesn't really make a difference. But so I was already censored pretty happily. And so my Facebook page at that time had, I don't remember, like say 35,000 whatever follow subscribers. And then I posted this little poem criticizing big tech. Uh, I, I still like it. it was a very short poem as an image. And then it said something like one person. So this post reached one person. And I know who that person is. It was me. <laughs> yeah. I've been there. I've been there. I've been there. I've I've run the marketing campaigns on Facebook and it takes no money and it just runs. It says running. And just goes into the distance and there's one person who sees it and that's me <laughs> so so i mean like i kind of accepted that this is what it is like for example my situation on twitter it's a cartoon meaning like 20k followers whatever you know like it's not huge it's okay but my reach is less than people with i think 100 followers i mean it's just and there's nothing like it's impossible there was a short period of time when it was doing okay for for whatever reason like some years ago but then it's it's a cartoon i post something it goes nowhere and when musk bought it it actually got a little worse there was not much room yeah. for it worse but it did get worse so uh, and just uh, have a sense of humor about it for me it got briefly better but i guess that as the ukraine conflict started the typing in of um of russian words that or russian aligned looking for russian aligned people um and censoring them instead uh would, would be likely so anybody who's then associated with russia in any way so you've come from moscow that must mean we're going to censor you anyway i think that's you 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 when i first started being censored it was when um it was probably about 2016 2017 when i first felt censorship and that's because i was reporting on the elections in the uk and uh, an article i'd um put out uh, about theresa may's father working with a famous serial killer that nobody knew about it's a really interesting story um it had a quarter of a million views um that's amazing within a, a couple of days i had reached a quarter of a million um with no like real platform no sort of marketing no anything just sharing out a story to a couple of people then it's gone further and further and further and then it felt like there was a jackboot on my throat for the rest of time <laughs> and that jackboot has has been moving on my throat to different parts of my throat so i could breathe <laughs> in slightly different ways over the rest of the time um but what was really notable and note uh, what was what what was extremely of note was that the story of Theresa May's father working with a serial killer during the election didn't get picked up anywhere. They didn't touch it. They all were in on it because that was a juicy story for anybody. If any of the British papers had looked into that, they would have gone, "God, this guy's right." 
let's let's run this as a little like he just even a little snippet in the paper you know but, but coming up to election time they, it was coordinated and then afterwards i mean i i, I saw it through court, court censorship in, from Berlin courts to to micro taskers phoning me up uh, or calling me up, emailing me and talking to them and them saying, well, I have to go through your name and report to these solicitors to have your stuff removed from Google. Um, and and this is industrial. So that was, but, but when microtaskers were phoning me, uh, or I was talking to microtaskers about that. That was 2019. That was before COVID hit. So when COVID hit, I was expecting to be completely and utterly censored. Um, and it didn't happen as much as I thought. I, I feel like it's been less and less as it's gone along. And then when Musk took over for a brief period, I was let loose and then, I think smothered up again a little bit now. Um, so enough time has passed. But I would, do you think it's because of your Russian background that you're targeted in that way? I don't know. I mean, it started when primarily I was involved in anti big tech activism and it was very, very, very visible. It had nothing to do with mm. Russia. So whether my nationality had anything to do with it i don't know maybe not but then i think i started feeling when uh well like 2015 or so like american elections and russians became very very bad people in the mainstream so probably at that point censorship in a personal level was in part based on my russianness just and when i mean on a personal level is that people would be people in the mainstream maybe afraid to somehow be associated with me because not only i'm russian i'm also proud of russian with weird opinions so it's kind of if i were russian saying all the senior talking points they would love me and welcome me right but but as a Russian with ideas that are not exactly mainstream television, I've, I've, I sense that, that like what, like that, 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 that was just on a personal level from like people in the news media and all that. And I know and respect a lot of people in the news media. I'm friends with them. I work with I worked in the media. So, but, so I said that. And then, well, I got a short break when the, you know, I wrote my Great Reset for Dummies, which I think I published in October 2020. And at that point on my Substack, I had very, very few subscribers and I wrote it out of desperation. I wrote it just because I felt like there was a big gap between people like, well, yourself or like James Corbett, uh, uh, like people who actually talk about those things. And then the rest of the world who think it's crazy. So I wanted to translate from crazy to norm kind of in poetic way so that it makes sense. And then pour my knowledge of the background and the, the uh, and I wrote this poetic essay, like giant, really big, but not like insane sounding. I made it a point to make it coherent and poetic and kind of philosophical. And all of a sudden, everybody was republishing it, translating it to different languages, like all those things. Mm. And I was like, oh, my God. I mean, it was such I, I was very I was very happy and very surprised. But people were like friends were emailing me like, oh, you know, we read your story. Zero H. I'm like, what's zero H? What's the oh, my God. So, 
so it was a short break where at that point i think like social media didn't yet like substack specifically it wasn't yet censoring substack that, that badly but then after that short window it was like wait a second who do you think you are like boot so yeah yeah, there, so there, there's a, fund, a fundamental uh, shift between the reason why people do this um, and the the the, the technical uh, targeting, because you're probably and and me the same originally um, caught up in some form of dragnet approach by computer algorithm that's going to test out uh, and and go through a load of keywords and then spit out a load of people, and so we were probably with our tweets and the way we spoke. We were probably obviously abnormal and speaking about subjects that they want to uh uh center in on uh censoring or at least coercing debate towards a certain conclusion because that's you know a lot of this is like slow manipulation it's um uh i've i've i covered it recently about behavioral insights nudge units nudging people yeah. towards and this is the same thing they take like tiny bits of information from people like you and me and they nudge people away from us so there, there's lots of nudging going on and it's the people who will be a they will be able to change their behavior other people they're nudging not us so we're the other people who who get put into a, a um a different area what what makes you different uh why let, let's let's ask it like this why should they target you well i really should not because you I, know, indeed. And all that. but uh, no, but I think that uh, the well, <laughs> the computers probably pick up on again the keywords. So mining was out there in the activism context, and I use this word very, uh, you know, ironically by now, what was back then, now is very weird, but back then it was earnest and honest and sincere and passionate and then of course all of my friends were with COVID and it's it's weird and so I think that people who are in the business of censorship they don't like people who offer clarity because that is clarity is the worst enemy of the tricksters and I think that foundationally and now we're getting into my favorite philosophical topic of tricksters trying to trick people away from their powers which i think is a recurring theme historically and so whenever somebody chooses the path of a trickster and a thief trying to essentially again divorce people from their own power they are not fans of the people who try to bring people back to their power mm -hmm. whether it's knowledge whether it's through some kind of philosophical clarity. And by censoring people like that, I think they try to uh, essentially kill two birds with one stone. One is exactly what you said, the nudging, the uh, social, so-called social proof that this is not cool, not so many people like it, just because they censor and they limit the reach artificially and all that. So that creates a fake picture of the social proof. But also they try to discourage the people who aspire 
for the truth of clarity and good investigative reporting because it is human nature to say, oh, nobody likes me, maybe there's something wrong with me. And that's this way, if a person actually goes for that, then, you know, one enemy of the machine less, right? It's like fewer. So it's, it's a dual, it's a dual purpose battle and a dual purpose tactic. Mm-hmm. And the, that's the reason why they should target you because you're able to see something that is fundament, a fundamental tactic. I think that's how they eventually, you, you know, a, a lot of people are put on a list. I don't think they stay on a list. I think they're, they, they, there is uh, a, 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 a certain number of levels and certain number of lists and there's crossovers and there's a lot of people who will then examine the information on each of these lists and look for people such as yourself for the reasons that you're saying there that you're able to understand um how their system and their techniques work and you're able to then describe that to people which of course then has uh people waking up and uh, where, where is where, i i mean uh, i try i struggle um especially when i uh um face to face with someone we're having a conversation and suddenly like something that the uh it, about covid or something comes up i struggle to keep a rational conversation going because people often get heated on both sides and i can't help getting heated and i one of the reasons i love you is because you're someone to uh uh, your your kind of calm is something to aspire to, uh, th- th- that ability to to get over that sort of uh, fundamental frustration and to look at it, uh, um, uh, the principle something's based on, uh, everything else, and take it all into account calmly. How do you keep calm when the world is going to crap like that? How do you keep rational? How do I, as a person, how do me, Johnny Vedmore, how does anybody sitting at home how can you teach us how to be more calm and more rational with our decisions? What approach should we take to be able to manage this and f- be able to use our logical mind without getting angry or frustrated? What should we be doing? Well, I think that in my case, I really learned the hard way. And uh, this is not necessarily what I wish on people, <laughs> but it's less so the logical mind. I mean, I do love the logical mind just because I love the truth, or at least, you know, my best attempt at it, because truth is an evasive, evasive thing, an elusive thing. But what life taught me is love and kindness, and it also taught me patience. Because if we talk specifically about COVID in 2020, prior by 2020, I've gone through so much crap that I was just chill. And I guess going through crap can have different effects. It can make somebody really angry. Uh, luckily, in my case, it made me really loving. And the experience that uh, I talk about a lot in interviews and, and, and generally is that when I was a kid, so I was growing up uh, with my grandparents, very close, very close to my grandparents, and I observed that generation 
And I observed how they were thrown under the bus when the Soviet Union collapsed. And very, very good people, very harsh people, people who've been through hell, you know, World War II, all those things, the post-war, the poverty. So they were born in the first decade after the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917. They were propagandized through and through. So they were really handed this like awful load of propaganda and betrayal and and so they were in a way emotionally separated from their parents because that's what the state was trying to do it was trying to make them believe that their parents were backward because they didn't believe in communism or not right so and so and they that was their religion in a way they were very sincere about communism and lenin i mean that was their sacred mm-hmm. they fought in in the war for, for that and they really believed in this like state and communism and all the ideals of it and it's better and that capitalist countries are horrible and just awful and cruel you know to which to some extent it's true i mean like there's a lot of cruelty in the in the western system too but so but they were very rigid and i'm speaking about the generation like the whole the whole the whole thing. So they were harsh, yeah. kind, strong, and rude. And and perhaps if they were handed, if the Soviet television told them about COVID and the vaccine and all that, what our mainstream television told us, maybe they would defend it far harder than even people who believe in COVID today. At yeah. the same time, they were the people and the generation because like their friends and the, the, their buddies in the, in the you know in the in the building. I got to hang out with a lot of old people, like the pensioners, and they were so loving, they were so kind, they were so generous to me, and and then they were thrown under the bus when the Soviet Union collapsed, and the television, the same television that was praising the ideals of communism and asking them to make sacrifices for those ideals of communism, that same television said, oh, by the way, that communism thing, that was bullshit, and Moving on to the next thing, capitalism, money, factories, working joint uh, enterprises, the West learning English. So they're just completely left behind, completely like nobody cares. And by that time, they're old, right? So they don't have to cry. I mean, they, they don't have the social the mechanism that makes people feel important socially. So they're just older and, and their values, as it turned out, is bullshit. And nobody talks to them. So they just left in their own own devices. And I observed that tragedy and they took it hard. And they never stopped believing in communism as a generation. They still thought that it was like betrayal, the traitors collapsed the Soviet Union for like America, what not. And depended on the on the people. Like mm-hmm. my household was not particularly political. But that sentiment I was able to sense as a child. And that hey, well, I mean, I mean, to just just uh, from someone who's done a lot of research recently, because I, I got articles that will be covering this. I it was a betrayal. I mean, it was a betrayal. But but whether whether the system that was built um, was betrayed for good or bad reasons is 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 obviously dependent on your personal experience. But most people's personal experience was poverty, poverty, and was censorship, and was being the hypernormalization that you saw in communist states. Sorry, go on. And so then, seeing that, just the personal tragedy of somebody thrown under the bus essentially with all their values with all their sacred mm-hmm. all, their, all their lives you know like if somebody 
fought in the war and then spent, you know, a decade in restoring the economy. And all those people, you know, the women whose husbands were killed in the war, they maybe like never had sex for the rest of their lives. And be, just because there were not enough men. And so all this hardship, all this joylessness, all this just like screwy, horrible, torturous, like cruel torment that people were subjected to. And all of a sudden, oh, bye bye. That was bullshit. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, no time for you. Go do whatever you want with your life. You know, bye bye. Now we're on to business of capitalism and like glory and yeah. wit and go. So that was horrible to watch. And so that taught me kindness regardless of the isms. And I guess overall with the Russian culture, it's kind of, it can be harsh and there's some prejudice and there's some ethnic prejudice and all those things. And so I could, maybe I was also inclined towards philosophy since, you know, just I, I made this way, but just seeing that contrast of kindness, strength, and all the admirable qualities, and at the same time, imperfections, like, you know, like rigidity and harshness, and all those things, and it can be combined in the people who are very lovable, maybe I completely disagree with them. So that kind of pre-prepared me for 2020 and people who are into COVID strongly, because I yeah. see them, the same generational grandparents, and nobody who's grounded would be subject to, would be so uh, malleable and so easily uh, ready for propaganda. So they had to be pre-broken for that. So the people who believe in that, they had to be pre-broken and they might have had glorious lives or rich lives or poor lives, but something in them had to be pre-maimed and it's not their fault. Meaning there's also lots of personal responsibility in everything we do and the choices we make, no doubt. But because I saw the trauma in the generation of my grandparents, I also see that philosophical trauma in the people who whose ideas are ridiculous, like absolutely ridiculous. And it's not very difficult for me to deal with them humanly, just because I see first and foremost a human being. And then logic as I see it, it doesn't really convince people very well. Yeah. No, logic doesn't convince anybody of anything nowadays <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I mean, even even if you got a logical mind, they're just like, yes, but what's the point? We may as well just burn it all. <laughs> um, it, it's, <laughs> it, it's, coming, it's coming to a point where a lot of people feel like that. it's really hard to um, argue some of the most inane points with people um, and not come to the conclusion that you have to change the way you argue and the way you perceive uh, certain things, including intelligence. I mean, people have, we, we like to bundle intelligence all up as one thing, but there's so many different forms of intelligence that each one of us uh, manifests with all of our decisions and with all of what we choose to do in life and the reason why we, we go a certain way. But really, we all know that instinctually, instinctually we're deep down that's where the real decisions come in and that's what probably the most nefarious people target that instinct instinctual flux towards action um in response to anything that seems like could be threatening and could 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 um all of this conditional all this uh, you know this is what our modern society has been based on we have to do this because this might happen and we have to do that because this might happen and these generations before us um 
we were were often told a, a, a certain narrative. Like you say, I, I mean, I can't even imagine what it's like to be uh, I've grown up in the Soviet uh, era, Russia, uh, being proud, proud of it. And then suddenly they're like, sat out straight away but i don't think that kind of happened i think as the soviets got more capitalist the capitalists got more soviets uh and more soviet <laughs> in their their nature it's like it, it was more of a trade-off um there there's we're heading towards uh and and when you speak about uh ideas like uh or or like things like the Pareto distribution where all wealth goes up and ends up uh, like uh, right at the top of society. It's the real richest and all of the wealth ends up there and capitalism will lead to just two companies. Well, it all looks very Soviet by the end of it. By the end of it, there's like a, a, a wealthy elite class and everybody else has got basically nothing and have to do things based on an ideology that might be true to keep you in a state of uh, not knowing and unstable and unable to ration unable to be taught ways like have your your ways of learning taken away from you so you just don't even know you don't know anymore and that is seems to be where all cultures and society is and isms go to die so you 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 like to say, like bundle up the isms. Is there any of the isms that um, you still feel attached to? Not really. And uh, before I go to isms, there's one particular example of betrayal of that generation of my grandparents that was on my mind, and it just like I, I want to say it out mm -hmm. loud because it's just so so striking. You know when. Again, I was still a kid when the Soviet Union fell apart. So all of my memories, I was not political at all, just because, you know, kids are not political. And so, but so there was a thing where war veterans, the ones who fought uh, in World War II, would come to schools and their medals and orders and awards and tell, just talk, talk about the war and the stories, right? So there was this tradition. And then... When they reversed and they said all oh, the communism was not nonsense and bullshit, then just like kids would laugh and mock the war veterans and their medals. And I'm not talking just in the street. And sometimes, like an old man would put on his medals, like on a best jacket, on the best and the only maybe jacket he has. And he would go on the street looking for like respect, essentially, just like, you know, like a citizen walking in the street with his mm -hmm. war eagle and all that. And kids, like little snotty kids who they, they would just show total disrespect and even laugh. And mm -hmm. just the feeling inside the heart of an old man must, I mean, like what, is, I mean, like that just broke my heart as a kid. I despised it. I was just like, mm -hmm. what is this? Just on a human level, who cares? Whatever is, it doesn't matter. But doing that to an older person with genuine war medals i mean he didn't go them for he didn't get them for a walk in the park like the person was risking his life and probably like wounded and and so that was just like the acceptability of mocking a genuine war veteran who is old it's just like that's that's that that is all of it in one image and that was just really really bad when you and when you go on sorry no, no, go ahead. I I was gonna say it reminded me of a song. Um, 
it remind me of uh, the Pogue's version of Walti- Waltzing Matilda, um, where he talks about uh, seeing his old comrades, how proudly they march, reviving their old dreams of past glory. Um, uh, I see the twisted old men all torn, forgotten heroes of war, and the young people ask me, what are they marching for? And I ask myself the same question. And I think there was a lot, there's a lot of that within, like, that That was, of course, about um, Gallipoli and the Australian uh, fight against the Turks where they got basically obliterated. And people, these people are forgotten very quickly by the next generation. Um, is, is, is that a result of people just following the next ism and forgetting their past and forgetting who they are and forgetting what people have done to get them there? Um, are, are the people who have fought in the war, were they the people who we, we, we should hold stock in as a youth and we should look up to, or will they be twisted and, and broken by their experience? And I think, you know, it's really hard to, to, for people to, to, to fundamentally get around that question in their head. Um, what, what is all this marching for once you've actually seen how horrific the conflicts or war were so i can kind of understand why the generations uh, ahead see and it happened all over europe as well it happened in in germany of course uh through the 60s and 70s um and in in britain to some regard where people who didn't talk about what happened during not only world war ii but the cold war period that followed you know caused a lot of resentment against uh, amongst people in various countries who had been held under um captive of ignorance really of imposed ignorance not knowing um what what were you going to say about isms so when it comes to isms i i can't say that there's any that i like because i would like to turn the topic of isms into the topic of tricksters because i think that this is kind of a very recurring theme that keeps repeating using different isms well first i want to tell a story a story it is very illustrative so in moscow there is a particular spot like a particular place the rumor is that a long 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 times ago a long time ago centuries ago that it was a pagan sacred place so then when uh, uh, the nation was converted to Christianity by force and bloodshed, and and uh, it was very violent. And so, so I mean, like the usual conversion, people didn't want it. The, mm-hmm. the rule wanted to be cool, so the conversion happened. So that place was desecrated, and they built a church in it. So then, some centuries later, so the church was there. Then everybody forgot about everything else. They forgot about the older traditions. So the country became Christian. It became really sacred. People put their sacred in it. Then. When Bolsheviks came to power, uh, well, they declared that religion is open for the masses, universally, any kind of spiritual tradition. So they destroyed the church and they desecrated that place. They desecrated the Christian church and they built a swimming pool there. Then uh, Soviet Union fell. So naturally, they destroyed the swimming pool and they built another church in there. And that new church is, I mean, actually, like it's very gaudy. Like it's just built mm-hmm. to be expensive and glittery and like gold everywhere. Uh, and uh, it doesn't even have a real feeling to my senses anyway. 
So yeah, yeah. and it just kind of tells us how isms work. And if if your ism tells you that it's okay and go and destroy somebody's sacred place, I think there's something wrong with that version of an ism, the energy mm-hmm. that comes from the ism. Because uh as far as for example, spiritual faith, religious faith goes, like I have the deepest respect for any sincere faith, whatever it is. It can be Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, uh, all the cultures, pagan. I mean, people have their own very, very sacred relationship with the with the creator. How do people people use different words? People use mm-hmm. different 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 words, and it's it's their business. And I think people make their own personal religions, and essentially, there's no. If we look at two different people, say two formal Christians of the same denomination, the chances they have different religions in their hearts and their heads, and and I think that um, so essentially, if somebody's ambition is love and healing and trying to do things that are kind that make the world better. You can give them any theory. They will fish out of the theory. They'll arrange this mosaic in such a manner that it is actually for love. At the same time, if the person is either broken, the person is choosing to be evil. So, uh, and by evil, I mean disrespecting other people's free will and using theory as in a legitimate in their mode of acquiring things from the world. So that's evil. And so they would use that same theory they would fish out different concepts and they would form a completely different mosaic like for example uh well during covid a lot of people use their christian faith for example to counter the whole covid insanity and in a very beautiful way and i respect it greatly at the same time people would use that same christianity to come to the americas was just invaded to cut babies in half, to drown the babies, make the parents watch, to feed live people to the dogs, natives. There's a Bible whose cover is made of human skin. And like, so same religion, different outcomes. And so I think that on the level of each human being, this is something that I watch out for in my own life. And I also pay attention to whether other people I interact with, whether they watch out for that same thing, is that is there respect for free will? Is there uh, a tendency to do missionary activities? I'm not a fan of missionary activities. I mm-hmm. think that people are entitled to form their own relationship with the divine. Form their, And essentially people have the... That's what free will is. People are free to do things and to choose things that are good for them or bad for them. It's That's, that's a freedom. That's the definition of freedom. So it's like free speech. Free speech is this freedom of speech, any speech. It can be speech that I despise. It, it can be speech that I find absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Still, freedom of speech is freedom of speech, right? So same thing with all the choices. And of course, if if it's somebody close to me, somebody in my life, somebody where I feel like I have the emotional urge or responsibility to impact the choices that maybe I don't like, then I would do the normal human thing. But again, respectfully so. But imposition, as in you're going to have, if you're not in my religion, and if you don't believe in God the same way I believe in God, I think that is a sign of darkness in the end. In the middle, it could be a sign of just being misguided or a mm-hmm. sign of lied to. But in the end, from there, at some point, there's darkness. 
where everything becomes corrupt everything right corrupts exactly itself. every organization every establishment every every creation that then goes on and takes its manifest its own uh sort of like uh propulsion through time and an ability to convince people um as soon as it takes on a life of its own then each person who perceives it perceives it in a way that is beneficial to them and can fit their life in a way that means that they can do usually things that are heinous under under the context of good and wonderful and it starts off good and the middle bit seems sensible but the end result is something where when you say for instance missionaries yeah and a lot of people would think well you know it's good to have missionaries now okay to go and they look after poor orphan children and the like but you go back to before there were spies before spies existed uh-huh. There were missionaries <laughs> who went to places and disguised themselves as kind, nice people who were spies. They were the original spies who did all, smuggled all of the 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 guns, smuggled all of the banned uh, literature. Whether we agree with that or not, you know, these people um, worked in that way. And nowadays, I met a missionary fairly recently who uh, was inviting other people to a mission in uh, another country in South America. And he, I've, I figured out very quickly that he was not a very nice person and that there was something extremely suspicious going on there. Yet he's able to invite loads of other missionaries into his home. Um, and yeah, I don't think his home's a safe place. And those people go with children and it, it keeps going around in a big circle that if you believe even within missionaries, they'll believe, give each other some sort of like faith in each other. That means that you could just say you're a missionary and you, you, you know, people believe it. that's the power it has over people. And that's why it was the first form of spycraft really. So, um, well, one of the early forms, not the first form, but uh, I mean, that's really uh, religious emissaries and the like have been used in that way. And I mean, if it's for someone who plays something like um, uh, a civilization, Sid Meier's game, then they'll just like in the later editions, you'll find that, you know, missionaries and religious preachers are used in the same way as early spies, because that's what you do. You try and convert people, get people over to your side, make people think the way you think. And then you win their hearts and minds. And that might mean, but in the past, chopping babies in half and burning them alive and all of that sort of stuff, probably. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we're missionaries, so it's okay. And yeah, I, I do find, uh, ah, this is very interesting. Continue. Sorry, I, I cut you off there. No, no, no. I mean, like, it's, it's, it, I was laughing when you were talking about missionary spies because I did Tibetan studies and Tibet. I mean, that was the place of the spy missionaries. That was the yeah. peace part. It was, you know, there were so many, so many spies there. Essentially, every missionary there, or I mean, there was a spy. That, and, then, that... and then movies afterwards to cover up that those missionaries <laughs> were actually spies. <laughs> like loads of movies. <laughs> I, got, I, I can't remember, I think I think Seven Years in Tibet and Kandun, was it? There were both movies that were, were, were kind of like, oh, look, nothing was going, dodgy was going on here at all. And everything oh, was nothing going at on all. Dodgy. Of course, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm convinced of that. It's very, very believable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
We we got no we got no hard feelings against China. We got nothing against them or anything. Anyway, yeah, go on, sorry. So but then philosophically speaking, it's interesting that you said uh convert people. I mean, I think that the original salespeople were the religious ones and i'm using re the word religious as an institutional religion like i personally don't think that philosophically that god wanted to con anybody to for force convert anybody i think it was a very very dark gimmick a very very dark insertion into any version of institutional religion that oh i mean can you imagine like honestly if you are let's say you're you're god so you can do anything you you this unimaginable unimaginable like like vast endless infant we cannot human human being cannot imagine right mm -hmm. and then like do you really want to be resentful and revengeful if like those little imperfect human beings they don't call you by the name that mm -hmm. like some roman emperor printed saying that it's a word of god it's like does it does it like, do you, like, can God be so, like, limited to <laughs> demand rigid obedience? I mean, what is that emotion? And, and I, again, I'm, I do not consider myself definitely like an expert in any institutional religion, not at all. And I'm saying it very respectfully and lovingly. And again, I am perfectly cool with people disagreeing with me or agreeing with me or, you know, I do, do respect people's sincere belief, regardless of their talking points. It's just soul to soul. I think it's a, having a spiritual relationship with the divine is very important. So I just want to be clear about that. I have total, total respect, regardless of the talking points. But just going back to the concept of God allegedly instructing people to say commit a genocide. Oh, go take take the land from those people because because it's 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 the word of God. I I I prefer those people over those people. If you think like God created all people, like what kind of a parent would it be if he tells, "Oh, you son by the name of John, I encourage you and in fact I demand that you go and murder your brother by the name of, I don't know, something else. And in fact, that house that he has, you ought to take that house and I command you as your father. Like what, what kind of religion is that, right? So mm -hmm. I don't, I, I think that was a political scam. It had nothing to do with God and nothing to do with religion. And then, and then what kind of God says, oh, so for millions of years, people were doing whatever they were doing. And now I just sent my messenger or a part of me and you have to do exactly what that person said and call me by that name or else you're all going to hell. Mm -hmm. If God has a parent relationship to human beings or maybe some kind of relationship that again is too complex for a human being to imagine which i think is the case it's just it's beautiful it's sacred it's loving so what love does have to do with like domination and stealing and and loving i Agreed. think so so i have this i have this phrase that i coined 
that is uh, probably new and other people coined it. So I'm not I'm not saying it as an oh I'm taking credit. But this phrase is the mother of all psyops. And mm -hmm. I think that the mother of all psyops happened thousands of years ago. And that and not COVID is the biggest scam in human history. And that has to do with putting words in God's mouth that God never said. And politicians are very crafty like that. And mm -hmm. I think that, and I'm saying it with contempt for politicians who did that and with total love for the people who maybe went for it because, oh, sorry, my, my computer is about shut down for some reason. Hold on a second. <laughs> that would not be good. Keep that, what you were saying in mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I have it in mind. I think about it all the time, but uh, <laughs> that would be um, most definitely there's a point in uh, my life where I started to look into the holy book that I had been brought up with so closely. Um, and I went back to the Old Testament and Leviticus and ended up with the man shall not lay with another man. God hates that. And thought, oh, that's an interesting line. And then I realized there's this God this idea of God that lurks around in the back, who's like, hey, you know your wife over there? Well, she's on her period, so you know what that means. She has to stay in her house for seven days because she's unclean. And well, what about, like, staying in probably four days before, four days after, or maybe even seven days? Why Why not? Let's keep, you, keep your wife indoors most of the time because she's unclean. And it's like that sort of uh insertion within the holy book that, that sort of thing inserted within the holy book is just it seems so uh ungodly it's so far away from what an idea of god would be and that's even a conscious a, a conscious person's idea of god not a um a, a, a maybe a spiritually open-minded conscious person i'm just talking like average conscious person i'm not talking about altered uh reality via lsd or psychedelics and being able to see your your third eye because if you thought about those things when you're actually at a higher state of understanding or a higher state of being it's ridiculous just the ideas of how simple everything is your your wife needs to do this if any religious book says your wife needs to do this you've got to stop listening to it <laughs> if it says you know everybody shouldn't kill okay well, i can dig that everybody shouldn't uh, uh treat people badly yeah i can dig that but if it's specifically telling you rules of how you live your life in a way that doesn't even make sense in the uh, like uh, after 100 years from the time it was written then obviously that was a big gap and i i discovered that early that's what kind of like led me on a path where i i i have to say i thought i wasn't religious and then i wasn't religious and then i was something else and now i'm not religious not organized religious but i find myself on a different path and it's a path that feels like there is some sort of massive divine being that uh, understands everything and you work uh, contractually to it. And the more, the more I think about it, the more it makes me think we're simulation on the simulation on the simulation on the simulation. But anybody who knows how I think would know 
that but when what does that mean even if that's true and the divine is whatever is uh affects you in that way or whatever you look at in that sense so for me the that that divine has become closer as i've gotten older i think i understand why more people get pick up religion when they're older but i've had this twisty turny relationship with the divine um where i wanted to believe it i want i wanted to believe in god but the gods of bibles and the gods of other religious books do not entice me towards wanting to feel spiritual and could that also be part of the reason why organized religion is there it splits these two people into a dynamic of people who are turned off from the things that they then perceive as being negative like religion is negative but religion also means loving everybody and being charitable and doing all of these things so uh, the fallacies grow all around you all of a sudden where you feel like you should be nice to someone because of something and then you go down a, a big path i mean finding your own soul and finding where that works with the divine is almost impossible when you've got so much uh information around um, and I was talking to a Mormon about this the other day. I have two, I, was, I have two, uh, tiny quick stories. Um, if you don't mind, um, sure. one, one is that I met a Mormon the other day It's actually on, um, a audit, uh, in Cardiff, uh, Johnny and monkey versus Ben Flores's galaxy. Um, and, and, uh, the Mormons, uh, I, I started to record this guy in the street and the Mormons just walk in front of me and start talking about Jesus Christ. But when I talked to him and what I didn't capture on the actual, see, I only could show you the beginning on the actual uh, audit, but when I talked to him, um, what I discussed with them was that they were reading a book that as soon as they've got to that book and they believe it. How many other books have they read and their response was we don't read any other books anymore we don't have the chance because we have to go out and we have to preach and we have to do these sort of things and i tried to weigh up with them the the point that surely that should mean that they should make extra time to read other competing literature to see if what they've been told is true or if they're just living by the first book that's really captured them fully and then they've been told they have to preach the word of it because that's the danger of being a missionary or a preacher is that you end up going into a world where you don't realize even what you're doing and the second story is that um i i missed this on camera it's so tab i plugged in an audio unit that failed on me so i recorded the actual interaction and there was no audio at the end it's such a sad thing it was a free black preach uh, four black preachers they look like they came from the same family i think they were down from bristol there's a lot of uh, a, a black preaching community in bristol and bristol's about 45 miles away from where i am now and they were i was just about to start a day walking around and filming in cardiff and this guy put down this enormous cross in the street so i sat next to the cross because i thought i i love this as soon as you go near anybody who's religious they panic <laughs> for some reason they're like he was there to evangelize 
he was there to evangelize. It's so amazing. I can't even understand the, the next things that happened just don't make any sense to me. I sat on the bench. I was a uh, half a meter away from the cross and half a meter away from this guy. And I was talking to him and I was saying, oh, where are you down from? And he, he told me, and I started pulling out my microphone and the camera and stuff and starting like checking stuff. And he said, what are you, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I, I do street for dike around like street journalism. Really? He said, Oh, you're not going to record me though. And I said, no, that's what I do. I raise awareness that, uh, photography in public is not a crime because we need to do it seen as we're being surveilled all the time. We need to make sure someone's watching the people who are watching us. That's the whole point of it. And also I like to talk to people on the street. I talk to loads of different people and you're here to evangelize. So I'm really interested in learning more, seeing what you're going to say and having a little conversation. You're like, no. I don't give you my permission. I said, I, I don't need your permission by law. That's what the whole point of this is. Yes, you do. And then he walked away from me and turned his back to me while I was recording. I was like, well, now I'm going to record. And of course, I didn't catch this on tape, but he turned his back to me and he refused to speak to me. And then he walked a little bit further away and he, he was there with his back to the cross too. And he was there to evangelize, specifically to evangelize on the street in Cardiff. And I could bring him an audience of more. I'm saying, no, I'm going to put up and, and we, we can talk and I want to record you evangelizing. And he refused. He turned his back on preaching the, the, the word, doing the exact thing he was meant to be doing, turned his back on the cross at the same time, sim symbolically and uh, in, in, in practice too. Um, and I talked to uh, his guys who were on the side. I thought I was recording them, and they did the same thing. They were like, oh, you can't record us. Oh, yes, I can. Bloody, bloody, bloody. These are the laws. No, they turned around, and I was like, but can't you see how you could just evangelize right now? And you could tell me the words of the Lord of how you see it, and I will be able to listen to you, and more people than are currently on the street will hear your words. And they refuse to speak to me. And I, I, I come across this quite often where evangelizing actually seems to be like an ego-driven affair where it's not an attempt to connect with the divine. It's an attempt to connect with something much more ground level, much more uh, about virtue, much more based uh, in humanity um, and in the self. Uh, and so those, those two things come to mind of, of very brief experiences. If you don't read all of the works, how do you know that something's true or false and what you're preaching is true or false? And then when you come to preach, if the camera is turned on you and you won't preach, what does that mean about evangelizing and, and these people? And now, I, for me, I, I try and view from their perspective and it didn't make any sense view it from my own perspective. And I'm not religious. So I, I'm just interested in human interaction and making people think about their own, um, what they do and what they, how they're acting. Do you find that, that there's, I, I mean, uh, what's your experiences like that? Do, do you have any? I know I, I'm, I've just come in and told you two, two random bits of like, but I, it, it's, it's something that's reoccurring theme. Do you, do you, you obviously try and talk to people who are religious in some way. Um, 
how does that go for you? Do you find that people are able to listen to you or are they set in their ways? Are a missionary stuck, brainwashed and going towards the direction that they want to rather than they should? I have, I have several things to say and I'll try to say them in order. So first, there was a very interesting, very brilliant human being. He passed away. His name is Ahdirat. And he did uh, say his name again. So I say his name. Ahmed, Ahmed. Ahmed Didat. I think Didat. he was from South Africa. He spoke about million languages, and his he was Muslim. And his story was that he used to work as a young man. He used to work uh, at a store that was across the street from a monastery, or something. I think it was a monastery. And so, as they taught the uh, people, the the students at the or, or seminary, something along those lines. So, as because they were taught to preach and to convert, and his store was right across, he was getting a lot of that. So they would practice on him, and and I guess he got frustrated with that, and he's Muslim, so he went ahead and really mastered the theory, the Christian theory, and like mastered completely. And he speaks many languages, and so then. He did debates with various Christian, uh, like institutional religious people. And I have to say that, I mean, like he's, he was a religious Muslim. So his point was to prove that, uh, the Quran is actually the holy book and the Bible is not. I mean, that was his thing. And then watching those debates, it's such intellectually, such an intellectually interesting thing to say, because on the one hand, you have those two people that one of them believes that this book is a holy book because the person believes that and then the other person believes that the other holy book is a holy book because the person believes that but then the intellectual i mean i highly recommend if somebody feels very you know touchy-feely about that about irreverent talk then I don't recommend it because both sides of the debate are usually very irreverent of the other side so they would be mocking and they would be witty of the other person's holy book. But mm -hmm. if if somebody's looking for an intellectual exchange, it's extremely interesting. It's hilarious too. So, uh, but that was the uh, mundane part of of the response. First, I would like to uh, well, our relationship with the divine as I did of this second. I think it's really, really, really beautiful, and I think that. Actually, we are an expression of God's desire to experience free will and maybe uncertainty because there's something interesting about that. There's something interesting about choosing and like not knowing, not necessarily for sure. You know, we can have an idea, maybe it's a correct idea, maybe it's a correct idea, but there's like uncertainty. There's a certain thrill to that. And I think that. The, the really logically the only way to experience that is to have well to not know and for that i think we're human i think we are like we are you know a part of what is god well everything is god right so but th that part of us is the human part of, it, of us is the part that doesn't know necessarily and that they are for free to choose and the free will is key of being human i think and I think it's really beautiful. So there's no, I don't think like punishment exists. I think 
there are consequences of choices. So sometimes if people make choices that are not so great, there are consequences. There's obligation to fix the things that you broke. And unpleasant things are can be educational, there can be a point to them. But I don't think that love, as perfect as we cannot even imagine, love coming from, from God, again, so big, and a human being cannot even really imagine. So love would come with like petty punishment it's like can you imagine parent like feeling this like a good parent who is mature parent who is like enlightened a parent would want to like cruel punish the child for making a mistake or doing something stupid i mean just on that that analogy like parent might want to maybe give a child a chance to figure things out and maybe go through something i mean like with wisdom with but it's like with wisdom is one thing with, with love and just like okay maybe it's good for the child to like, go through this so that the result is beautiful mm-hmm. but the sense of revenge and punishment that people try to ascribe to god i mean i think that's an insult really and I do think that historically speaking, well, see, for many, 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 many generations, uh, the proverbial pagans had an actual decent idea about how the world worked. And uh, it had to be a decent idea because if somebody lives, say, in the jungle or like in nature in general, doesn't have the protection of the modern city, you better have a good idea about reality. Because if you have a fantastical idea about reality and you live in a raw environment where you have to deal with wild animals and nature and all those things, fantastical idea would make you dead very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. So people had to ha- had a good idea. But also direct connect- connection with the divine is very, like it makes, it gives people meaning. It makes it beautiful. It also makes people powerful. And so I think at some point somebody figured out that they didn't want other people to be powerful. They didn't want to be competition. And so they came up with this theory full of, you know how the best lie is something that is half true and half lie, that mm-hmm. is not entirely lie. And so people, politicians, again, I want to, I want to emphasize politicians had nothing to do with God, nothing to do with religion, but they came up with very involved very crafty propaganda and there was violence and there was lots of tricks and and it was a political campaign kind of like covid but on a much more massive and deeper level and so they said oh any spiritual knowledge other than what we say is dangerous from the devil or a sin or it makes you feel guilty i think it's kind of like believing if you believe anything besides what my television program is saying, then you're clearly a bad person. It's the same thing. It's the same principle. Mm-hmm. Because if somebody comes from love, let's say, well, let's an example. Let's say person A has a genuinely legit idea about theology and spirituality and all those things. Let's say, just assume like that person has a decent idea like close to reality, maybe imperfect, but close. And then person B has an idea that is completely just wacky, just fantastical nonsense. So 
And let's say person A really wants person B to have clarity, to have good idea. Would it be legitimate before God for person A to twist the arm or to use marching, like to use those things that are just like like like, like trickery? So I mean, like trickery, just sales techniques, scare the person. Oh, you're going to go to hell. Surely you're going to go to hell if you don't believe me. Mm-hmm. Even if for a second the intentions were good, that's how people cross over to the dark side. Maybe they start out with good intentions. I don't know, maybe not. But this is the direct path to crossing over to the dark side, that twisting other people's arm. Uh, and what is the value of conversion based on fear or based on like manipulation? Like the only valid way from, say, wacky or maybe less precise notion about the world and the divine and, and God which is like really, really sacred, right? So the only legitimate way is sincere. And that is, I think, why we're here. We're here to find the truth, to find our connection and to, and to impact the world in a beautiful way. I think we all have, that, like most of us, there's some people who are predatory, but very, very few people are like that. So if somebody starts, let's say somebody starts out in a good place, they think that, oh, like, I know the truth. Well, and, and it's obviously the truth because it's me, right? I feel that. So, and then it is my job to twist those people's arms. Say that, say that those, like, about stealing, it's about this good intention, right? Like, how, I mean, how one would assume that they are actually authorized to do that? Like maybe they can say here, they're like here's legitimate uh, version of missionary that would be legitimate. Like somebody would say, hey, hey, Johnny, like here's how I feel about life. It makes me really happy. So I, it would make me happy if you just thought about it. That's it. And then Johnny decides whether Johnny wants to think about it or not. And maybe, you know, sometimes somebody with relatively ideas is trying to help them with less clear ideas, but then it takes, you know, 10 years, right? Or five years or like five months. But I mean, there has to be natural trajectory. That's the only legitimate way. Anything else? And certainly not cutting babies in half. Mm-hmm. So yeah. It's going over to the dark side. And so, the, but there's, it's a very complex dynamic, but because I think in the beginning, and I'm talking about in the beginning, beginning, like beginning of the big psyop, of this cycle of the site, which is several thousand years. There was a group of people, probably like a very small group of people, one group of people, deliberately shaped it. I mean, like they were living, they came up with a theory, they came up with tricks, they came up with military strategy. But then as time goes by, a lot of people get confused. Like some people get, I mean, because violence is a very convincing talker, right? They've, that, that that's that's horrible and then there's all this trauma and traumatized people are easier to confuse and then here we are people i mean everything is so distorted and people try to find the truth through whatever means possible like for example at one point i wanted to become a nun when i was a teenager i mean i was actively considering it, it would be a horrible choice but i was it was so important to me to like, I really wanted 
to understand that that very important thing. It was very, very important. And and Christianity, once the Soviet Union fell apart, Christianity was the default religion. And I really, I, I really tried. I, I mean, I was so passionate about it. And and of course, it was very like it was very traumatizing because Christianity in Russia, Orthodox Christianity would come with most like grammars, uh, uh, watching very closely whether you're wearing a scarf if you enter a church or whether like your, your skirt is too short and all those things. So there was a lot of like very human customs based behavior that was ascribed to Christianity, right? In their own hearts. And then it was imposed on me, which was very frustrating. But but I was considering becoming a nun because that was my, that was my, like, I really wanted to understand and that was the available system, right? So I think when people like children, most people form their formal religion as children, like a lot of people stick to that. And then if as children, they're explained a certain way to look at things or you're born mm-hmm. bad, born a sinner and all that. And then the entire life is shaped around it. It okay, takes let- very, yeah, very, very, very intense life experiences usually to snap out of it and try to find direct relationship with God or create or how people call that. I mean, the universe, like the divine, the, like the divine, the, the important divine. And mm-hmm. many people are not so, I don't know, lucky, unlucky, their life goes smooth. So they don't really have reasons to maybe explore further. And maybe they form a really wonderful religion that is internal that is not about cutting babies right that's about like helping and being kind and that's beautiful but foundationally again there's this group of tricksters who reproduce the same trickery over and over and over and over and here we're going back to isms because then the same thing that they used as a religious scam very treacherous one to divorce people from their powers essentially to take out the competition that that same thing is played in COVID with the guilt and, uh, you know, you're a horrible person if you don't wear a mask. It's it's kind of the same psychological cycle as in if you don't do this, then you're going to go to hell, right? Mm-hmm. So, and then communists essentially utilized Christian guilt for like state communist guilt, same feeling, different trap. And if you start looking at it and if you start looking at it honestly, then two things happen. One it's like, oh my God, we've been lied to for thousands of years, so devastatingly and so successfully. And the next thing that happens is kindness. It's like, oh my God, all these people with all their ridiculous ideas, they're my family. Like they're mm-hmm. ridiculous. They do ridiculous things. And like, mm-hmm. oh my God, don't like their choices. And they are my family. Mm-hmm. And they come from generations and generations and generations of lies. And c- what can I heal besides love? It's like, I want the world, I want them to heal. I want myself to heal. My life will be better if they heal. The world will be better. And it may take, God knows, I mean, thousands of years, because it took thousands of years to get us to this state of like total fantastical everything. Right? And... And we're in it. And it's important to do what we do, like each of us, the very everyday things, everyday brave things that do poses to be honorable, to be kind, to be beautiful to ourselves. That is something that I'm building a box for something that may happen thousands of years from now that is beautiful, that is going to heal the world. And and it's meaningful. And then 
another thing that comes with that is that you know in the medical freedom movement for the better for the lack of a better term there's often this question asked so how do we talk to the people who believe in the covid and the vaccines and all that and how can they through this and convince them and my immediate reaction is what scams do we personally believe in because it's very easy to see other people's delusions for for obvious human reasons it's very easy to see that other people are being propagandized, brainwashed, and with the nonsense. But then, each of us is subscribed to some kind of scam, and uh, the more scams we unsubscribe from in our mind, the easier the job of convincing others becomes. And I'm not saying easier as in it's going to magically work like a trick. It's just a much it becomes a much calmer affair and i've discovered that first of all there's no form of formulas it's trying to use like quick formulas and psychological techniques to convince others of what you consider true mm-hmm. because i think that uh, there's there's a funny thing about tricks i think that as for like the biggest trick that one is permitted uh while staying on the good side is just being like charming and friendly mm-hmm. like sincerely so because or being humor like humorous and, because like, i showed specifically in a manner that is loving and it's not a trick on my part i actually feel loving mm-hmm. but it took me years because I used to be this like like passionate like oh how do how you don't get it like oh like can't you see like what's wrong with you and maybe I wouldn't say the what's wrong with you part but it like that's how it feels like, like how come they see that and now I realize that it's actually everybody's sacred journey to figure things out so maybe they're in a different part of their journey uh, than I am maybe they've figured out something that I haven't while well, I have figured out that they haven't and it's only loving i think like that's my own process so sometimes i think uh what would convince me for example because i i do i am keen on understanding the truth i'm not particularly married to my ideas and genuinely i don't take ideas seriously but nonetheless sometimes i have a very strong opinion about something right and then uh would I change my mind if somebody told me, oh, you're such an idiot, like, why have I said it? Definitely not. Even if they're right, mm-hmm. that's not going to change my mind. So the only process that really works benevolently is uh, really respecting the person's right to choose whatever they choose. They may choose something that is good for them. They may choose something that is not good for them. They may choose something that I agree with. They may choose something I disagree with. Like my authority is to protect myself. Mm-hmm. I do have that authority. I do not necess- I do not have authority to quickly twist their arm towards what I think is correct, because that's not an authority on the good side of things. I don't think. Mm-hmm. And uh, having the love is actually very helpful. It's very helpful in a bi-directional manner because, on the one hand, if you try to create clarity with love which i consider one of the main things that i generally try to do with my life like i enjoy using words for that and that's 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 very enjoyable to me 
So if I bring into that general faith in the goodness of the universe or, or you know, God, again, people use different words. And mm -hmm. if I bring that and that help into the process, and if I pray for the clarity in the best way, in the best way, maybe I don't understand what the best way is, but really in the best, most truthful, loving way that is most healing for the world, then I then I have help and then I don't feel necessarily frustrated if you know, the process may take you know, mm -hmm. shorter or longer. But then it's a creative process. I am really doing my best. So I think mm -hmm. that the general principle of doing my best and placing the hope in the universe, it's it's a good one. And again, universe can be God of any institutional religion, how other people believe. But but this is the only way I think that we can sustain for a long time without going crazy. Because otherwise it's frustrating. Like once you figure something out, and then when a lot of people have not figured that particular part out, and then there's a tendency to feel, oh my God, like we're all going to die if they don't don't change their minds immediately because it's so destructive, how can they see? But it's very understandable, right? And I went through this mm -hmm. phase. And, but then the world is so mysterious and so beautiful. And if you think that there's a big, big, big trajectory, and this is something we don't even have an idea about, like big, 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 like thousands of millions of years, whatever it is. So, and we are just those tiny little specks of love mm -hmm. that live in this time and space with this limited knowledge. I mean, getting really frustrated about the fact that your neighbor, you know, believes in COVID vaccine, it's understandable. Like, I, I've been there, but at the same time, uh, if the purpose is to be productive and to really make things better, it seems like focusing on love with humility, a happy version of humility and patience seems to be a good strategy for me, at least. It yeah. just makes sense. And it also allows me to be calm and to take my time and to not take it personally if somebody doesn't get convinced immediately. Because it's like, okay, I mean, like they have the right to. They're walking their journey. Does it make any mm -hmm. sense? Yep. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? Um, I think one way I describe a lot of that in a, 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 a simple way is that when you look at any of the uh, teachings of all of the most wisest people throughout history, um, it always comes fundamentally down to a point of saying that you shouldn't worry. Don't worry. Worry is where the anxiety, the fear comes in, all of the other things, and it manifests things. Worrying manifests all the negativity. And being good and trusting in uh, universe or divine, as long as you do the right things and as long as you feel like you're living a true life, um, that usually will unfold some form of karmic wave, where you, karmic wave, sorry, where you jump on, and you have no, uh, you have no ability to stop it. I feel like it's, it's fundamentally parts of my life uh, um, uh, are me letting over to something that is what some people would call the divine, and I would just call 
the big wave. I can't get off it. I'm on it now. Um, it's taken me somewhere, and I've just got to keep doing what I got to do, even if it feels funny and strange to uh, tell a certain story that I've been led to. I feel like I've got to tell it now, and I've got to go through these motions because I'm part of this grand explosion i'm a spark in the explosion i'm just one tiny little uh, dot of light in the whole um grand scheme of things and in that dot of light in the flickering proverbial flickering fire around uh where we, say uh um the native americans would have once sat in uh, a circle and I can see the faces of children listening to stories from the past. I'm going back to the start of something you were saying at the beginning here. I can see, like, you know, the narrative being told in a calm way over years and years and years and years within one culture uh, that allowed for people to understand their place in the world um, through uh, stories and uh, allegories and all different sort of metaphoric uh, uh, forms of storytelling um the intrigues and interests young people and would drag people into understanding really really complicated uh concepts really easily all of these things were controlled within certain cultures and uh, almost uncontrolled in other cultures in a sense that um someone would be able to change it for whatever they wanted it to be and i feel that that's how the, the the when you're talking about the change of religion, the people who are taking it and molding it into something that would suit them, that uh, doesn't suit the individual's uh, a relationship with the divine, but instead suits the individual, the the state's relationship with the individual, <laughs> and uh, that that morphs and becomes something else over time, and eventually you get this monster. Um, so it starts off with probably a version of. Of, uh, people being told stories around campfires that give them an understanding but at one point one generation has been told that that is true that these metaphors are true that the the everything that is being told is fact and they've believed whoever's told them because they're no longer uh, sitting around to tell them in the normal way they're they're animated they're passionate they believe they seem to believe what they're saying and it drives uh, other people then there must have been points where all over the world people said we must spread this story round and tell it in these ways that has been told to us and stuck with us and that caused this uh what really is um an explosion of a load of individual egos wrapped up in a feeling that they are connected with the divine so feeling that they are the divine themselves to some extent which is the misapprehension that leads a lot of religious people to make uh or what i see as misapprehension um makes religious people choose certain paths that are really e evil and sinister is the feeling that they because they have such a relationship with the divine that they themselves are divine um and that is been something that i think for history for thousands of years when we talk about that stretch of time the biggest psyop in history yeah I, I think it's a, a natural progression and I'm not surprised that once you studied uh, linguistics 
because um, that's something that I think is wrapped up in it. The reason why these people take these uh, roads is because they were told a story generations ago, and that story has been handed down and morphed and eventually captured by someone who understands how to tell it in a different way with different characters and create something that is really an extreme form of marketing and extreme style. really is... Uh, the um, birth of what will be termed forevermore fifth generation warfare. I mean, it's not fifth generation warfare, like the psyops and making people believe stuff and forcing things upon people that we see today being used as a thing that's been a common theme for thousands and thousands of years. And it makes me think of loads of things. All, all of what you said, you said, you said a lot there. Um, that's how I feel about, um, you know, uh, how this behemoth uh, organized religious structure grew around us. And I feel, uh, you know, weird, so weird about religion because I feel akin to a lot of religious people. I feel that they hold values that I really myself uh, feel are really massively important, but I also feel that they hold a load of um, uh, hoodoo, you could say, uh, a lot of, of leftovers, remnants from the past. Um, one question that I, I, I couldn't help but to think we're about uh, asking you and coming out to the end it seems like the best time to ask you what do you think makes up a human then do you think is like it's just a conscious in a body is there a core is there a spirit and a soul mixed with the conscious and the subconscious are these things different or are they all part of the same creature do you have any idea of that question Oh, no pressure. <laughs> I know. I know. I just, sorry, I, I had it in my mind. I When you were talking, I thought to myself, you know, I kind of see, I, I, I see um, body, soul, and consciousness as sort of three separate things. I, I may have been led to those beliefs by reading certain literatures and certain things. So I'm happy to say that, I, uh, you know, I, I will uh, put them under investigation if new information arises. But I feel that there's a consciousness, a consciousness like wrapped up in in a corpse that has something else attached that goes on um and a lot of people feel that and i think that's also helped form the want to find religion so that's why i ask you um what you feel that a, makes up a human um i understand if you want a bit of time to think about it <laughs> no like i just happen to have been thinking about it for years so no. <laughs> <laughs> so I like so, you. Yes, likewise. So the interesting thing, and that's that was one of my most important learnings. And it also answered, uh, and I'm going to go on a tangent here. So it also answered the question that I didn't understand during my Buddhist phase. I did have a Buddhist phase that came mm -hmm. after my uh, wanting to be a Russian Orthodox nun phase. And yeah. uh, so I, uh, somebody gave me a book uh kind of like a popular version of buddhism that they like a book that they live at hotel like in mm -hmm. hotel rooms in asia 
And yeah. somebody came from abroad, gave me that book. It was an exotic thing. And I read it and was like, oh my God, I'm a Buddhist. I, I, I loved it. It <laughs> me very excited. And, yeah. and from there, I went to learn different Asian languages and all that. So, I mean, like it was a big journey. But, but I couldn't quite understand it through that theory. It was very exciting for some time. But, and there's this concept of emptiness, for example. Like in Buddhism, there's this con con concept of emptiness. And I didn't understand it even as I was translating to a Tibet monk. Uh, but like for a Tibet monk, uh, a lecture on Buddhism. And then eventually at some point, I think I, ha I, I have a better idea about what it is. See, I think we're composite. We're composite in every way. We're composite. So the composite factor actually explains the difficulty of defining boundaries between us and the world. Because let's say, for example, first on the biological level, right? So we have obviously our body. Uh, like it's, it's easy to define. There's a contour. There's, you know, we have limbs and, and face and all those things, yeah. right? At the same time, we have a gazillion of different microbes and we have individual individual organ, organ systems and also different types of microbes. And there, many of those microbes that live inside of us, we wouldn't be able to live for a day without them. They, they modulate mm -hmm. our immune response, they modulate a lot of things in us. So they're kind of a part of us. They're, they're kind of external, but at the same time, they are part of us. And so that illustrates like one type of being composite. So they're separate, but they're not really separate. Or for example, our own cells. I do believe that our own cells are living conscious beings just like we are. And our relationship or their relationship to us is probably the same as our relationship to the entire humanity. So... Mm -hmm. That bigger organism is impossible to imagine from being on a different level. So a cell is probably is going about its life doing, you know, it's interacting with other cells. It's having very exciting processes inside it and outside. And it's probably conscious in a very different way. It's probably hard for a cell to imagine like the whole body. It's mm -hmm. just outside of the like consciousness. So again, an illustration of being composite. So a cell is a part of us, but at the same time, there's certain individuality to the cell. Uh, and, and I think that the next level, like next higher level organism is always more than just some of its parts. Because if we look at all the cells of their body, of our body, and then us as a person, like, we are bigger than just the sum of our cells. And I think that's just the principle how it works. But similarly, I think on the emotional level or however, you know, people use different words to describe the things that we can't see. I think we're also very composite. And mm -hmm. some parts are very core to who we are and probably we bring them from, you know, where we come from. Some parts are resonant to us. Maybe they have their relationship similarly to how microbes have to our body, but they're very resonant. They're good for us. And then mm -hmm. some may be hostile. And uh, when people identify with like ideas, it might be their ideas, or it might be completely not their ideas. And uh, and it's a very very it's a very 
you know, it's a very non-trivial thing. And, and I think, well, nobody is really an expert. So people can be an expert on themselves, kind of, right? So you can like try to sense those things out. But I think to answer your question is like we're very, very composite. So we probably have all those parts and we probably have many more parts. And you know, in many, many cultures that uh, preceded, you know, the establishment spiritual views, spirit, you know, the written language based, uh, there's a legend uh, that according to the legend, before we come here, we choose what we have to do. And so, and we have a very clear idea about many things before we come here. And then when we are born, we forget it all. And mm. then we have to remember. And that gives the uncertainty, that gives the freedom of choo choosing. Mm -hmm. Because if we knew everything, we remembered everything, then like choosing wouldn't be much of a thing. So, and so then we have to learn, we have to remember, and it's good to remember to some extent. And then eventually with life, like we gradually remember what the deal is and what we have to do. And then the, the 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 trick is you actually do that, and that that's the purpose. So we come here with a purpose, each of us. So there's nobody who came here for no reason. I mean, and we come with approval, and I mean, like it's really all very meaningful and very very loving. And sometimes, in order to learn something or to to acquire a skill, it requires maybe experiences that are painful. But the point is never the pain. And I'm subscribed to that notion. I think the point is never the pain. I think that getting addicted to pain is not helpful at all. So painful experiences, I think, exist to learn something. But the goal is always to like go through them as fast as possible. So mm -hmm. I mean, like learn whatever you got to learn, and then move on to like pleasant things and enjoy and all those and, and, and all those things. And God, so, I wish it was that easy. Ooh. Uh, well, it's it's not easy, but yeah, I think I know, I know. like experientially, it eventually, it's it's just that notion, even itself, notion is powerful because it's very easy to get sort of addicted to, and especially in our culture with guilt and like sinfulness and all that, that like bad things happen because there's something wrong with you, or you know, you're a sinner and you deserved about this. And by the way, speaking of tricksters, who I think play a key role in this whole mother whole psyops and the entire past several thousand years of mass culture based on the psyop. Mm -hmm. uh, guilt is a very powerful downer. Yeah. And if the reaction to making mistakes or like bad experiences, if the reaction is guilt, that would can keep potentially the person like separated from their power to heal for a very long time. And the tricksters want nothing more than a bunch of people without power to heal because whole people are very hard to steal from right so they want people mm -hmm. to be have broken essential the entire model is almost like the cheesy cartoon where like the people uh in high chairs they want the rest of us the, the rest of the people to be just functional enough to work for them or to be their food but not announce more I mean, they don't want people to be whole. They don't want people to think. They don't want people to know. They want people to be just functional enough to do the functions that they ascribe to them, like in a slave system and this machine. And 
but when people come out and guilt is beautiful for them like it's not a beautiful thing but i mean like it works really powerful because uh i think we get our help from the divine we, we get our help against the tricksters from the divine and then if somebody feels guilty and they feel un unworthy of asking for help genuinely like a child like a loved child asking for help like when a loved child says I have no idea what this is about. I have no idea what I'm doing. Please help me. Please guide me to do the right thing. Please guide me to have a good life. Please guide me to overcome those tricksters. That's powerful. When it's like all the time, when you don't stop, when it's when you're not scared, like when you're willing to do that until it works. That's powerful. Uh, what's powerful for good people is poison for the tricksters. So they want people to feel guilty. And I think honestly, and I could be right, I could be wrong, that's just my personal opinion as of the second. That the whole concept of like sin, as in we are born bad, I think that was massive psyop. Mm -hmm. I think that it did come from God. Uh, and again, if people believe in that, if that's a part of their core belief, I respect that. Like I have no authority over other people's belief and, and I'm saying it with love and I'll have a cup of tea and give a hug. Uh, so, but I think that on the level of establishment, like politicians forming religions, that was one of the foundational psyops, the concept of we are being, being born bad. We are being born with the potential to choose good or bad. Mm -hmm. That's very different from being born bad. And and we've, we have the choice to do good. We have the choice to work for healing. We have the choice to repair things, not just break things, right? So bring it back to not sticking to pain, I think that's, Again, on the on the level of words, it can sound cheesy or like, you know, easier said than done, of course. But then on the level of experience, if you try it and 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 finally you'll figure it out, like what it is, it's it's amazing. And then, then remembering on a sensory level, on the cellular level, remembering that if things are tough, then it's because you need to learn something and you try to like pedal out of it as soon as possible and you ask for help and you ask like a child like a love child i think when it comes to prayer like praying like a love child is a is a good way praying as a like you know somebody's like says but with not really hope hoping for help i mean like that's not a very effective prayer right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that confidence, that spiritual confidence, has to, but it's based on a feeling that you are good. That you are good. You might be imperfect. You may have no idea what you're doing. You may be making mistakes. You may be making them often. I think most people do. And but nonetheless, you intrinsically you're good. You're here for good things, and you need help to do your job well. I think that's powerful. And I don't even remember what the question was, but I wanted to get it out because I yeah, think. No, it's I I think one of the things that you answered there is that uh, really important. It kept going through my mind as you were saying it, the, the core question and how this actually relates to the core question. Because the core question was really what makes up our body, what makes up us. And I have a obviously a very similar belief uh, to you. I think probably... Various members of my family have the same sort of like various members of my family are, are spiritualists, so they believe in certain things. And I, we, we, you know, I have certain experiences on the 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 street as well about belief. I know that 
it, just down the road from me there's an evangelical church where they get very preachy about everything and tell you that um you're a sinner from the off and there's no way that you're you know you're you're just sin, 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 and you just got to repent for the rest of your life. And that was always a repulsive idea of a religious order. It's always, that's always like that. It felt like a psyop even when I was young. It felt like someone was trying to do something to distort reality so that they could then insert something inside my mind, a belief that I would then say, if, if that's right, then I must listen to you, which is a fallacy of course you know if if what you're saying is correct then i must do what you say um that's what these people have worked on for many a, a moon and it works as well because that church has always been full of people there's always evangelicals and i've been to some of their meetings i've sat in on some of their meetings and listened to them um they're fairly welcoming and they offer uh, uh crisps and snacks which is nice um, but most of what they say is predictable and a lot of what how people feel about who they are and what they are in their relationship with the divine is predictable it's predictable because it looks like it's attached to some form of organized religion that we've we've gone through and and i i feel like i've i've taken i tried to take in a lot of different uh perspectives and my 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 feeling inside my sense of self spits out what it doesn't like and i agree um with a lot of what you say and it's it's a beautiful perspective you have because you're coming it from uh angle where it could be like you could be like um an extreme gnostic with that sort of same idea oh this it's not organized religion would you know we could be damned we're off doing loads of different things who knows what's going on but let's just destroy everything you know that's where a lot of people get to you get to a place where it's like you know this isn't true this isn't true this is all a psyop but underneath it is the same thing that you're seeking it's just the veil has been put over it and it's been put over for thousands of years and the story has become so morphed and uh, unlike it, it the truth looks that we can't even tell what's real or not anymore it's uh the prevailing narrative is just a blob a homogenous blob of wank and the truth is, is somewhere deep inside where there's people who have kindness and love, uh, respect for each other and respect for each other's view. And I know you're doing something really important. We're coming right to the end now. I really want to thank you for what you do, Tessa, because you do something extremely important, which is you do have those conversations that are between the lines. And I find that I often uh over the past i'd say year particularly have uh, seen myself getting angry at something and felt that that i know that you would tell me that i should look at it without being angry that i should be positive towards something and that uh, you know your type of character is a character that's been repeated throughout history um and it's one about forgiveness love and understanding um and that's really what the world i want to live in um and that's why i really hope my audience uh goes over and looks up 
all of your articles and, and gets involved with the conversation you're having and understands that you're censored. So to have that conversation, they got to go find you. Tell, tell us a, a little bit about what your plans are and what you're doing at the moment and where to find your stuff. You know, I, I'm sure I'm sure people will want to know. Oh, well, first of all, thank you, John. Your words are so kind and they music to my ears. And and I'm grateful for this opportunity to have this conversation in the podcast. And and by the way, yes, I would say that about anger. I was laughing as you were saying that. <laughs> mm -hmm. But uh, as far as the plans, well, it's hard to make plans in this world uh, in its current state because we don't know what's like. It's all up in the air. Mm -hmm. You don't know what's going to happen in the next minute. And... Uh, uh, where the great reset is going to take us. Mm -hmm. But in general, I mean, like I do the same thing that I do. I try to bring clarity and, and uh, inspire, again, people to think from the inside and look for the truth that is more divorced from talking points than maybe currently. And... I'm also really fascinated with how we are living history right now mm -hmm. because and I'm, I'm going to try to keep it brief, but it's, it's really, it's a fascinating lived experience because, you know, when you're little, you grow up and you think about history and you think like it's black and white and the good guys and the bad guys and all the trickery and it's all clear. And if only the good guys like did that, then the world would be different. And then when 2020 happened, and it seemed so black and white, kind of like there was this anti-COVID camp to which I belong, and we were so pure, or at least it felt this way, like for a few months, and and it felt like this time around, it's mm -hmm. gone. Everybody's going to see it because it's so big and so egregious. Like we are, got, like it's so obvious. Like it's so obvious, and it, it's it, everybody's going to see that. And then you see how that like infiltrators and the people who just try to go business like build a business on the anti-covid talking points and all this like human dynamic and like little camps and tricks like big tricks uh little tricks people saying all the right things while being from the agencies people saying, i mean like it's just like so predictably it happened but actually living through that on this scale for the first time is like oh oh holy crap like what 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 i mean like how and then it's like, oh, wait a second. This is exactly how it worked for thousands of years. So like, hello, uh, welcome to history, right? So yeah. that is really fascinating. Like, to me, it was one of the most important learnings of the past three years and also like humbling and calming at the same time because mm -hmm. it's like there's no like urgency to fix the world immediately this second because likely it's not going to happen. So likely it's just going to meander some more like doing what it's usually doing. Uh, but at the same time, like it's obviously humbling because ah, here I was hoping that in my lifetime, the world is going to come to like a calmer place, like a more beautiful place. And yeah, we'll see. So I keep writing and hopefully I start doing more music again because I, mm. I take a break, but it was like with everything happening and I kind of, focus more on writing plus the music that i was doing before it was about exactly what actually happened in the past three years so now <laughs> it's kind of boring to do that it's mm -hmm. like there's no need for me to predict it because look around so i'm more drawn to music that is like i recorded a few traditional armenian songs and i mean just like more like loving and traditional so we'll see and then oh, of course nice. you can find me on tassasubstack.com 
Excellent. Excellent. Well, it's been a great, it's really been great to talk with you. And we've had multiple conversations, both on camera and off camera. And I really appreciate everything you're doing. I'm the same as you. I want to get back to doing some music eventually. But at the moment, the, uh, I think it, the agenda that's, that's appearing around us that you can see, uh, manifest, uh, very easily and clearly around us. That's that, that's not going to abate anytime soon. There's no, there's no, not going to be any stop. It's probably going to speed up and some strange things are going to happen in the near future some things that will bend everybody's mind and i fear that the camps that we make these comfortable camps that you talk about that you i i can hear you you know exactly what they are um i think they will be reformed again and again and split again and again over the next five six years so let's make some music while we can hey i tell you what if you do some production send me some stuff i'm happy to uh write some lyrics and do something over the top we could do a song together or something that would oh, be cool. fun. <laughs> oh thank you yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. That's idea. awesome thanks for coming on the newspaper podcast uh thank you john it was a pleasure